Good morning, and welcome to the Everyman Global Livestream. Thanks for being a part of the Everyman Movement. My name is Greg Monk. I'm a father of five. My son Noah is 26. My daughter Taylor is 24. My son Micah is 22. Uh, my son Elijah is 20, and my youngest Ethan um, is 18 years old. They are all super talented actors, singers, and performers, and worship leaders. You may have seen a few of them on the small and large screen. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Kimberly for the past 30 years. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, and I was combat promoted to corporal for my actions in the Gulf War. And I'm a lead pastor at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills. Man, it's been a blast working with Kenny Luck the past eight years. I'm honored and humbled to be with you this morning. If God can use a knucklehead like me, <laughs> I know that he can use you in a powerful way. You know, we create notes for you to follow along with us. You just have to click download notes and, and print and follow along. Why do we want you to do that? Well, first, studies on learning have shown that actively engaging by listening and then taking notes helps you understand and remember the content better. Also, because we want you to teach a study with your friends, family, men's group, at your church, in person, or over Zoom. We put the notes together to multiply this men's movement through you. So please, download the notes and share this live stream with another man. Today, we are kicking off part four of this new series called The Guide. <laughs> wow, I cannot believe it's already been four weeks. Well, in USMC boot camp, I was the platoon leader, and I carried the platoon flag. And that's called a guide on. And in turn, that made me the guide. You know, most of us want to be good and faithful soldiers. And we know what the opposite of those things are and what they produce, the pain and the suffering they can cause. What is guiding you is what is going to determine what kind of soldier you are going to be. Is culture guiding you? Is media guiding you? Are politics guiding you? Is Hollywood guiding you? Is pleasure guiding you? Is wealth guiding you or is God guiding you? The living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some of you were like me and grew up in total dysfunction. You had poor examples. You had poor guides. You know, last week we talked about a soldier's surrender and how we need to stop resisting a relationship with God and start trusting in him, cooperating with him and winning with God, having victory with God. I know we all want victory. It was one of the most impactful things I've done and I'm glad it happened during this series. So please go check it out. In week two, we talked about how a soldier's growth truly happens when we are rooted, accountable, and on mission for God. And in week one, we talked about a soldier's identity and how your truest identity is that you are a man of God and you need to live in that. So if you have not had a chance to watch those, please check out parts one, two, and three of this guide series and share them with other people. You know, this week's monkism for you is don't pre-qualify what someone is going to say to you. Go ahead and ask, you know? Well, I, I messed that up. It's don't pre-qualify what someone is going to say to your ask, ask. And in the same way, don't pre-qualify how God will answer your prayer, pray. Today, on part four of the guide, we are talking about a soldier's purpose. And are you living a life of purpose? Or are you floundering? Or about to sink? Maybe some of you men are about to sink. 
Most likely you're somewhere in between. Spiritually, our purpose is found in a relationship with God. And that is the meaning of life. So the first point I have for you today is a soldier's purpose, and write this in, pleasing his commanding officer. A soldier's purpose is pleasing his commanding officer. Are we in the military? I call a CO. For those that served in the military, when a CO gives soldiers lawful orders or objectives, it gives us clear guidance and direction, especially when making difficult decisions. It makes clear what we're working towards, what to do, and what to accomplish. Pleasing our CO's objectives also motivates and inspires us. One of the biggest reasons is because it gives us a target to aim for and, we, and, and, and the drive we need to, to, deliver, to, to deliver results and make it happen. When we understand what the needs are, what we're working towards, and what's in it for us, there's more of a probability that we, we will be successful in the mission. And we all wanna be successful. So that's why purpose comes from pleasing our commanding officer, those objectives, the mission. You know, this reminds me of my combat story. You know, it was Saturday, February 23rd, 1991. I was sitting um, on the top of my bunk with a thousand rounds of 5.56 millimeter ammo. You know, it was in a ammo case. And I was loading my magazines for combat uh, that we were going to the next day. You know, we could not believe it was finally happening. I felt like I, I was getting my gear ready for the CIF football championships, but this was not a game. This was gonna be life or death. You know, I had a secret clearance and I would gather the daily intel for my unit. We would read about uh, the atrocities the Iraqis committed on civilians. It was old fashioned rape and pillage of innocent people. We had a Kuwaiti college student assigned to us as a translator. Uh, he spoke about his firsthand account and horror stories of what happened to his family and friends. You know, we were all part of the 5th MEB, and that stands for the Marine Expeditionary Brigade. And I, and I was assigned to RLT-5, Regional Landing Team 5, the forward phase. We were the only, you know, we were the only primary Marine unit to participate in both the amphibious deception and the famous left hook or ground operations during Desert Storm. The amphibious deception named Threat Task Force Troy tied down at least four Iraqi divisions along the coast of Kuwait City. You know, I could, I could barely sleep that night. I read the Bible. I said my prayers. I, you know, I was a new Christian. I looked at a picture of Kimberly for a long time. Then I got out a Sharpie and wrote these words on the back. If I am hurt, help me. If I am dying, save me. For I have but one reason to live. True love. I know I'm a softy at heart. Um, as you know from the last uh, message, part, part three, Kimberly was my life. She was my family. I folded it up and I put it in my left breast camel pocket. I was ready to go. I was terrified and excited all at the same time and didn't know what was about to happen. So here it was, Sunday, February 24th, 1991, Lance Corporal Greg Monk, and 7,499 other jarheads offloaded from the, the USS Juno and all the other ships in the area. And we're at, we're at Ras Massab, Saudi Arabia. It was about 28 miles south of the border of Kuwait. We unloaded our equipment and, 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 and ammunition. We were ready to go, man. We did it super fast. It was record time. And we were eager to assault Iraqi positions in southern Kuwait. 
Once ashore, the Marine attack against the Iraqis was ferocious. We moved as fast as our vehicles could go. And soon the main problem became handling, you know, all the unexpectedly large number of enemy prisoners of war. It's hard to remember our movements all these years later. You know, the exact details on what day and the location names. You know, thank God for the historical and, and museum division of the USMC. You know, I'm so grateful for them for having this data to confirm the details I went through. It was so cathartic for me when I wrote my book to retrace my steps, see movement maps, locations, and so on of where I was as I kind of put that and didn't think about it for a long time. You know, by February 27th, four days in, it was apparent that Saddam's forces in Kuwait had been defeated. Intelligence reports indicated that an estimated uh, 100 plus Iraqis were still holding out in the Al-Wafar forest. Since the exact situation was uncertain, they decided to approach this as a combat operation. And you know, the Al-Wafar forest uh, didn't look like a forest at all. It looked like a desert, complete. Some parts of it had some trees and vegetation, but mainly it, it looked like a desert. I was attached to Regional Landing Team 5, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, when orders came down at 2300 on February 28th to clear the forest. On March 1st, we were up and ready to go at dawn. You know, uh, our unit captured a map overlay and it indicated the Iraqi minefield locations, so we moved freely in the areas where there weren't mines. The attack was preceded with psychological operation helicopters announcing the ceasefire and giving surrender instructions to any Iraqis that were left. At about 0700, we began moving south toward the Al-Wafar oil processing complex. There was a, a three-hour delay as psychological operation helicopters crisscrossed all through the forest. Some dropped leaflets announcing the ceasefire, while others carried loudspeakers blaring surrender instructions. Uh, we gave every opportunity for the soldiers to surrender before unleashing hell on anyone left. Iraqi military forces set fire to 732 oil wells along with an, an unspecified number of oil-filled low-lying areas, such as oil lakes and fire trenches, as part of a scorched-earth policy upon their retreat. It was 1100, but dark as night, the sun looking like a faint moon in the thick, smoke-filled sky. It was raining oil, and we were sucking all that crap in. We called it live in the suck. Resuming our advance, we passed by abandoned artillery positions, wrecked vehicles, and burning oil wells. We reached uh, the Al-Wafar transfer station about mid-afternoon. At about 1500, three o'clock, uh, we discovered fresh food while clearing the transfer station, but spotted no Iraqis. As we moved out about an hour later, I was in the back of a Hummer. Uh, we were at the last vehicle in the column when suddenly there was an explosion. It was. It could be a, a artillery or RPG, we didn't know. It was about 75 meters out and it was so loud, it shook you to your bones. If it had been a US you know, artillery unit, I wouldn't be here right now. We exited the vehicle to take cover on the other side of the road, away from the blast, and try to identify where it had come from. You know, I was nuclear, biological, and chemically uh, trained, NBC defense trained, as I called it based on the chemical agent, temperature, and wind, I could do a survey on a map and tell you the impact, your size, how long it would take to dissipate, and, and, and the direction it's gonna go in. All that to say is I could read a map. There was another explosion about 50 yards away, and a burst of small Iraqi arms and automatic weapons fire rang out. After much heated debate between us, the location was called in. 
two AH-1JC Cobras combat helicopters were biting at the chance to get some close in fire support and quickly swooped in. We could not see them, but could hear them as they flew over us and unleashed an arsenal of fire, destroying several buildings and anything that was moving. We assessed the area, there was nothing left. There were body parts, chunks of flesh and, and burnt clothes everywhere, but we couldn't tell how many there had been through the debris. We checked some dead Iraqis uh, who had come from blown out Iraqi personnel carriers that had been hit before we got there. When I investigated the personnel carrier, one of the Iraqis who had been driving was only a burnt skeleton with parts of muscle and cartilage left. The, the rest of him was melted into the sea like a shadow of himself. Uh, part of his boot was still on. It was, it was, it was crazy. This wasn't a movie. I mean, this was real life. These were fellow humans dead in front of me. It's kill or be killed in war. So we pressed on. We grabbed their guns and we were on our way. Uh, you know, and the RLT-5 sweep through the force continued. You know, there was other four units carefully uh, cleared other areas, moving from house to house and marking all unexploded ordinances. Um, as their sweep neared the west end of the forest, it was taken under fire. And uh, there was distinctive green tracer rounds you could see spotted that were coming from nearby brick structures. And then our 81 millimeter mortar platoon fired an immediate illumination mission that allowed the two Cobra gunships to repeatedly attack the enemy strong point. You know, and that was the end of that. The, the whole battalion cons, uh, consolidated at dusk. We went forward and established 360 degree night defensive positions. I never took my flak jacket off. We all smelled so bad, but it was the least of our worries. I understand now how homeless people can get to a point of being comfortable in their own filth. There is comfort in not caring. Most of us kept our gear on from February 24th until March 5th, never changing except for our socks or if we soiled our underwear, which happened from time to time. That night I slept, or more like I catnapped, underneath the Hummer and was thankful to be alive. I laid there until it was my turn to stay, stand watch. You know, standing watch there in the desert, looking at the skyline with all the fires, it was, it was beautiful in a way. You know, there would be someone surrendering at different times throughout the night, and it was just constant. You know, we were also serenaded by the psychological operations helicopter playing music and broadcasting appeals to the Iraqis, anyone that was left to surrender throughout the night. It was totally surreal. The next day, we continued our sweep, and about uh, 1343 in the afternoon, um, another forward element that was with us came under automatic weapons fire and small arms fire. Riflemen and snipers returned fire and pinned the Iraqis inside a house, and an armed Huey helicopter destroyed the building and its occupants. The remaining Iraqis broke contact and fled. Again, our unit halted and established night defense positions about six miles west of the morning start line. It was estimated that the force was about 75% cleared when darkness stopped operations. The advance resumed the next day. Uh, Mid-morning, we suffered a combat casualty when a Marine tripped a booby trap. And then Second Lieutenant Bruce C. McGraw, he's the 2nd Battalion Mortar Transport Officer, drove straight into the minefield and pulled the injured man to safety. We watched over him until uh, the wounded Marine was lifted out by helicopter to be treated for leg, chest, and eye wounds. The final combat action occurred when the RLT-5 command post was fired upon. And our Company L Battalion 3-1 immediately engaged the enemy force, occupying uh, the built-up area near El Rafar Oil Processing Complex. 
The buildings were destroyed and damaged by small rounds. Uh, and from, from my favorite weapon of all time, the Mark 19. Mark 19 is an automatic grenade launcher. It's, 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 a, it's a freaking grenade machine gun. It puts out about 60 rounds per minute rapid and 40 rounds per minute sustained. It's, it's pretty awesome. It destroys a lot of stuff very quickly. We also use tow missiles and again, close in fire support from Super Cobras. When the firefight was over, RLT-5 moved into Saudi Arabia uh, at the same place where we started. The threat of a beach landing and the famous left hook maneuver worked and coalition forces lost far fewer lives than they would have lost if the Iraqi forces had concentrated on the real US threat from Saudi Arabia. An estimated 100,000 Iraqi soldiers were killed in Operation Desert Storm while the United States had only 383 fatalities in the region. For a few more days, we led groups of Iraqi prisoners back to collect their dead. I wasn't a fan of touching the dead bodies nor participating in dancing or taking pictures with them like some Marines did. You know what? I don't judge that. Everyone deals with the immense pressure of combat differently. On top of that, being part of graves and registration, that's processing Marines who died for our unit, is hard to talk about, so let's just leave it at that. On March 15th, 1991, I was on the USS Juno flight deck. I was there on this flight deck of the USS Juno in front of the entire uh, regional landing team in BSSG-5, and I was combat promoted to combat corporal E4 for my actions while in the forest with no trees. Our commanding officer gave us orders, gave us an objective, and we achieved it. Listening and pleasing our commanding officers' orders and objectives gives a, you know, it gave us purpose. You know, as men of God, God is our commanding officer. And we find our true purpose when we live our life to please God. That is the meaning of life. You know, 2 Timothy 2.4, it says this. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. You know, it's said that the Roman legionnaire soldiers were not permitted to marry, you know, or work as merchants or as builders or anything that might be inconsistent with being a soldier. So that's what, you know, Paul was writing about and saying. It is likely that Paul was also chained to a soldier even when he wrote this. He saw how these soldiers acted and how they obeyed their commanding officers. Paul knew that this is how a Christian must act towards God. Jesus Christ is the commander of all the heaven's armies. In Joshua 5, Jesus appeared to Joshua as commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua 5.14. And, you know, and, and that's awesome. He is our commanding officer. And we owe total obedience to him in kind. That's why we obey him. He is our CO. John 8.29 says this. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. You guys, men... This is Jesus saying, God is with you and has not deserted you. So do what pleases God. Live for an audience of one, not for the masses. Kenny says it all the time. This is Jesus. Jesus is in you. This is you. This was a testimony from Jesus of him talking about his sinlessness. This was his proclamation to say, just to talk about that. It was evident that Jesus's life was consistent with his message and many received him. The Pharisees projected what they uh, thought what it meant to be close to God, what it meant to be intimate with God, but it was evident that they were actually not close to God. They rejected Jesus. 
You know, a soldier's purpose is pleasing his commanding officer. And number two, a soldier's purpose is training in godliness. Write that in, training in godliness. You know, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it says this, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Our priority must be focused on God's word. That has to be our priority. God's word, not on, not on the words of man. Our priority must be focused on internal things, not temporal things. The same work, that same commitment that you, that you put towards lifting or CrossFit or exercise, you should put towards the pursuit of godliness. You know, as men, we know how to work out. We know how to do things. We know how to get fit. The same thing happens spiritually. We need to get fit spiritually. Godliness means to have the character and attitude of God. And that is something we all can pursue. You know what? We're all busy. But I wake up excited about each day and eager to see where God's taking me. I live not to impress people, but to offer glory to God. And that's what our lives should do. We should all be seeking to glorify God. Spiritually and physical development share some similarities. You know, growth only comes with exertion and proper feeding. If we want to be exercised, we want to get bigger, we want to lift. I work out all the time. You know, we need to work out and we need to eat. You know, are you feeding your spiritual development properly? You know, as men of God, we need to do that. That's why, that's why every man exists. We're here so we can spiritually help develop you, spiritually feed you, so you can grow into in the man that God wants you to be and the man that you want to be, truly. You know, this passage is talking about how training in godliness makes our lives better now here on earth, and it gives us eternal life in heaven. This is awesome. You know, this, this is an incredible truth that we need to know. You know, not only that we, we need to believe, but we need to share it. We need to let people know about it. It's not just believing it for ourselves, but we need to share it as well. You know, the bottom line here is Jesus, you know, is our God. He's our CO. And saying yes to Jesus gives us a fulfilled life on earth and eternity in heaven. Praise God for that. Like I said in, like I said in an earlier study uh, a couple weeks ago, God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be obedient. And true happiness comes from that obedience. Um, in a similar way, you know, godliness does not make our life more comfortable or give us more money or make life easy for us. Godliness makes the life we are experiencing the best, no matter what we're going through. It provides you true contentment and the most fulfilling life one can live in this earth, for sure. Only godliness is the path to eternal life and happiness. Sin, bad habits, and vices offer nothing for the life to come. Your family tree and your heritage offer nothing for the life to come. Worldly success and, and wealth offer nothing for the life to come. Personal fame or beauty offer nothing for the life to come. Achievements in learning or the arts offer nothing for the life to come. Earth is preparation for eternity. What does training in godliness look like? I have three things that I want to leave you with. And first, we need to write this in, become like Christ. Become like Christ. Romans 8.29 says this, 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You know, Morris says it like this. You know, he says, Paul is saying that God is the author of our salvation and that from beginning to end, we are not to think that God can take action only when we graciously give him permission. The fact that God chose you and began a good work in you proves that he'll continue to perform it in you continually. He wouldn't bring you this far and then dump you or neglect you or forget about you. God loves you. This is the reason for God's plan. He adopts us into his family for the purpose of making us like Jesus Christ, similar to him in the perfection of his humanity. Our model is Jesus, men. Jesus sets the mold. God wants us to have the family resemblance. What does training in godliness look like? First, become like Christ. And second, write this in, we need to get familiar with weapons. Yes, I like that. Yes, as a Marine, I got familiar with my weapons. Spiritually, we need to get familiar with our spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says this, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. As men of God, our weapons are not material, but spiritual. And they are suited for spiritual war. You know, the carnal human way is to overpower, dominate, manipulate, and outmaneuver. The spiritual Jesus way is to humble yourself, die to yourself, and let God show you his resurrection power through you. One of the spiritual weapons is the word of God. It destroys strongholds and, capture pe- and, and, and captures people's wrong, rebellious thoughts and perceptions that contradict the true knowledge of God and the nature of God. You know, in Ephesians 6, 13 and 18, it says it like this. And this is a familiar passage about the armor of God. And many, many of you men know it, but it says this. Therefore, put on, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, the breastplate. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all all believers everywhere. Amen to that. You know, that's a clear picture for us about it. And obviously, you know, Paul's writing this as he's a captive and he's observing how the soldiers put their armor on and the importance of it. You know, the order in which the pieces of armor are described is the order in which the soldier would normally put them on. Without the strength of God and the protection of spiritual armor, it is impossible to stand against the attacks of the enemy or attacks from the enemy. You know, I, I remember suiting up for battle that night before, you know, and I, I had offensive and defensive weapons and you have offense and defensive weapons. We can only stand when we are equipped with the armor of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Each aspect of the symbolic armor answers to a specific dynamic within the Christian life that enables us to stand against spiritual attack. 
Men, you're not alone. We need to embrace these weapons. First is the belt of truth. And that, and that the belt of truth represents being rooted in biblical beliefs. It represents our understanding and confidence in the basic doctrines of the faith. That's what that represents. It's the story. You know, in a belt holds up your pants. They used to gather themselves. It, it was an important piece. It helped them not to trip over their garments. It, it starts there. Then, you know, the breastplate of righteousness that they put on, that chest covering, represents a righteousness received by faith in Jesus. This is not our own earned righteousness or a feeling of righteousness. This is, it comes from the Lord. Faith in Jesus. That's what that breastplate is. And so we need to have that, men. And then the shoes, the combat boots of the gospel, you know, represents the gospel providing the footing for everything we do. You know, these are spiritual combat boots. However powerful the rest of our body is, if you are wounded in your feet, you are easy prey for the enemy. And anyone that has fought or has done anything without proper shoes, equipment, and it's hard. The feet is the gospel, spiritually. Then there's the shield of faith, and that represents protecting us from the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those persistent efforts of demonic forces to weaken us through fear and unbelief. Faith is represented as a shield, and it's the big shield. Thoughts, feelings, imaginations, fears, and lies, all these can be hurled at us by Satan as fiery darts. Faith turns them back. Man, that's important, man. The enemy is like a lion. He, roar, he, he roams around looking for someone to devour. We need faith. And that shield of faith protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Then there's the helmet of salvation. And that represents the hope of salvation. It protects us against discouragement, against the desire to give up, giving us hope not only in knowing that we are saved, but that we will, that we will be saved. It is the assurance that God will triumph. A soldier would be foolish to go into battle without his helmet. Can you imagine going on a football field without your equipment and trying to tackle somebody or run the football? Man, you get injured. Imagine going to combat without your helmet. I couldn't. You know, and the sword of the Spirit represents the Word of God. You know, the Spirit helps us to use God's Word. Not only did the Spirit give us the Scriptures, but also He makes them alive to us. And he equips us with the right thrust of the sword of the word at the right time. You know, the, the Holy Spirit speaks through us as we take in God's word. Um, in those moments when we're not sure what to say, the Holy Spirit activates and gives us the proper thrust to attack uh, the schemes of the enemy. You know, and we can't forget about prayer. We should use every kind of prayer. We can't think of just praying. We need to pray all the time in any possible way. Prayer starts it all. Training in godliness looks like first, becoming like Christ. Second, getting familiar with weapons. And third, write this in, fight with brothers. Fight with brothers. Fight alongside your brothers. We're not made to do it alone, men. You need each other. That's why every man exists. That's why we're here. That's why we want men to be in groups. We can't do it alone. And 1 Corinthians 12, 21, it says this. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You know, that, 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 that scripture is powerful because, you know, sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves. You know, often we consider a part of our, you know, our body unnecessary or of low importance until it's hurt, until we have an injury. Then we realize how important it is. The hand or the eye may seem to be more important 
and may have more glamour in its position, but it is not more necessary or important than other parts of the body. As men of God, we all need each other. All of you are important. Each of us is important. Each of us is designed a different personality away. We're all needed for the kingdom of God. One's not more important than the other. When we go into battle, we need each other. We rely on each other. We need to be unified in combat. We never, we never send Marines to the beach by themselves to attack a position. It's always with a unit. It's always together. It's always everyone using their gifts and strength as one to defeat the enemy. Going it alone is complete suicide. We can't do it. You know, and Timothy 2, 22 says this. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts Instead, pursue righteousness, living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You know, we need to flee youthful lusts. Don't entertain them. Don't challenge them. Don't try to endure them. The idea of, I will just test myself on this one to see if I can stand against it, <laughs> has, has made many fall into sin. Don't do it, man. Godliness can never be a matter of just avoiding bad things. It must also be pursuit of good things. There are things that we must flee from and things we must pursue. Don't fight alone. Fight alongside your brothers. In this passage, it just talks about how we need to run from lust and we need to run to God. And we, we need to run with a pack, run with others. You know, that's a great picture for us. Flee, pursue, and never alone. We need to flee the temptations. We need to pursue God and we need to never do it alone, men. When I was trained for combat, I became a Marine. I got familiar with my weapons and I fought alongside my brothers. As men of God, as soldiers of God, a soldier's purpose is pleasing his commanding officer. When we train in, God in, you know, in godliness, we first become like Christ. We second, get familiar with the spiritual weapons. And third, we fight alongside our brothers. That is what I want us to grasp onto. I want you to know that God loves you and you're not meant to do it alone. We need to please our commanding officer. That's our focus. That's our goal. And we do that by, by, by living out our godliness and everything that he's offering to us. Step into what he has for you. Don't do it alone. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, we are so thankful for this time. Lord, I'm so grateful for this series, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be men, Lord God, who live for you in all things, Lord, that, that we understand our identity in you, Lord God, that we grow in you, Lord, that we surrender our life to you, Lord God, and that we understand that true purpose comes from you in all things. Lord, we want to be men who, who seek to please you, Lord. You're, you're our commanding officer. We want to please you in all things, Lord God. Lord, and we do that by growing in godliness, Lord God. I want you to help us to do that. Lord, help us to be more like Christ in all things. Lord, we want to be that. We want to be men who are more like you. We want to model you, Lord God. You are our guide. We want, to, we want to be like that. And Lord, I pray that you would just fill every spiritual weapon uh, that we need into us for the proper time, Lord God. Help us to be get trained up. Help us to know God's word, Lord God. Help us to, uh, to fellowship with others, Lord God. Help us to, uh, to, to seek not to do things alone. Lord, we want, to be, we, want, we want to use these spiritual weapons wisely, Lord God. Um, the helmet of salvation, Lord God, the breastplate, Lord of righteousness, Lord God, the belt of truth, Lord, the shoes. We want it all, Lord. Lord, help every man 
to fight the good fight with what you have for them. And Lord God, help us to, to not be alone. Help us to step out of uh, those times when um, we just want to be by ourselves and we just think we can do it on our own or we don't need help. Lord, help us to understand that we need to uh, face the enemy together, Lord, with our brothers. And Lord God, I just pray for each man that he would draw closer to you. Lord, that we would understand our true purpose is living for you. You're our CEO, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, amen. Amen. Man, you know, every week I've been asking you this. I have two asks for you. I know this. One, if you are a veteran or active military, I know of a soldier or a veteran, I want to ask you to do two things for me. First, would you please forward a link of this live stream right now to every man you know, especially those that serve and have served in our military? You know, I wrote a book called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, Peacemaking. You know, and it has all these stories, a lot of the stories that I'm talking about here, it has them in more detail. And it's coming out in November, 2022. It's a book about these crazy, funny, sad, moving stories. It is my life. Click on the website below, go to gregmunk.net to pre-order your copy today. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. I spent two and a half years writing that book. And so it's finally here, I can't believe it. Please join us next week for part five of The Guide series. You know, we're gonna be discussing a soldier's worth. Now, if you've been checking the news, you know the suicide rate for veterans is at, a, at an all-time high. You know, so when I talk about a soldier's worth, I want to talk about that because so you can clearly understand that no matter what you have done on mission, in country, on deployment, or in combat, that God loves you and you are worthy of God's love. You know, this is for any soldier out there, anyone who's seen combat. God made you a warrior and a warfighter and a sheepdog. And there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. Do you understand me? You are worthy of God's love. And we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a soldier's worth next week. Don't miss it. Never forget, man of God, that God loves you and so do I.